Christchurch, New Malden, 7th of February 2021. Becky Mills speaking on Building Back Better as a Church, The Vulnerable, Part 2. Building back better in giving dignity and worth to vulnerable people. I've been feeling really stimulated and challenged by our Building Back Better series this year, and I hope you have too as well as reflecting on issues where we need to improve and develop as a church and discussing possible ways forward, this series sketches out new horizons for us beyond the pandemic's terrible daily death toll and the disconnection, grief and fear that so many people are still feeling a year on. It gives us fresh goals to work towards and will breathe new life into our church body and into our relationships with the wider community. It gives us hope, hope for a better future. And that hope is infused with the love that we all share as equal members of the body of Christ, our Lord and Saviour, our inspiration for our communal life. In our Old Testament reading from Isaiah, we're reminded that God was always on the side of the disempowered and and marginalised. His passion for justice for the poor is echoed throughout Scripture. The prophets were God's mouthpiece and constantly reminded leaders and the people alike that the true measure of the quality of their relationship with God was their care for vulnerable people. Last week Stephen reminded us of the astonishing truth that our God became a public spectacle in the most degrading way and experienced the pain and isolation of a dying criminal. Not only was God always on the side of the disempowered and the marginal, but in Jesus, God shared in our humanity at its most raw and vulnerable. Stephen also reminded us how Jesus' death on a cross radically reversed the prevailing idea of vulnerability. All vulnerable people, whether they were mentally, physically, economically or socially disadvantaged, were despised and ostracised by society at the time. The prophetic voice in Israel had fallen silent for roughly 400 years and the religious establishment, in this respect at least, shared the outlook of the Greco-Roman world. In direct contrast to this, Jesus announced a new world order, a radical reversal of everyone's long-held assumptions about honour and status. This is beautifully illustrated by the Columba altarpiece painted in 1455 by the Netherlandish artist Roger van der Weyden. The course I have been doing on Christianity in the arts has revealed untold riches in devotional art over many centuries. In this amazing altarpiece, we see the whole breadth of salvation history unfolding before our very eyes. We're drawn towards the partially hidden star which seems to mimic the rising sun shedding its dawn rays on the rear of the stable, partially blocked by the jutting brickwork of the stable roof. The star marks a royal birth. The sun heralds a new dawn in salvation history. The small shadowy crucifix hanging on the central column of the stable above the Christ child is the centre point of all three panels. 
The extraordinary cityscape pans out right across the width of the central panel, inviting all to witness this incredible moment of divine self-disclosure. We can trace the trodden path of the figure on the left, the patron, who is leaning against the wall, and we can detect the remote lands on the right of the central panel from where the Magi have made their journey. And the figure with the dark beard, turban and yellow robes is the stereotypical image of Jews in the late medieval period. Not only then do we see the breaking down of barriers between East and West, Jew and Gentile, all social distinctions are flattened out. The right-hand panel of the altarpiece shows the presentation in the temple. The stable and the temple are placed side by side, contrasting new and old orders. We can see in the third panel behind and to the left of the group in the foreground a figure leaning against a column holding a begging bowl. He's afraid to raise his eyes to look at the assembled group. He's marginal in so many ways. In the composition, he's on the edge of our field of vision. Socially, he's ostracised and alone. Spiritually, he's a bystander at a sacred gathering. The beggar symbolises man in his fallen state and echoes in the left-hand panel of the, of the Annunciation, a carving of the fall of man which is visible on the edge of Mary's kneeler. Images of fallenness are placed at both inner edges of the wings of the altarpiece and are resolved in this central crucifix. Rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, tough and vulnerable alike, all are magnetically drawn within the ambit of God's redemptive love symbolised by the crucifix in the centre. All are given dignity and worth. The extent to which we bear witness to this message in caring for vulnerable people in our own lives will be the measure of the quality of our relationship with God. I chose the illustration of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, 31-46 because in it, Jesus totally identifies with people who are poor and vulnerable. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. In this early 16th century altarpiece by the master of Alkmaar in the Netherlands, all six loving acts in the illustration of the sheep and the goats are shown, and Jesus is present in each. In each case, the recipient of kindness is one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. An extra panel is added which represents both Judgment Day and the burial of the dead, which was another act of love added in the Middle Ages to arrive at seven loving acts, the perfect number. So let's take a, a close look at this altarpiece. In early modern Europe, most of what passed for social services was organised and run by lay brotherhoods. An extension of the church, the members were upper-class men and women. They ran hospitals, hostels, orphanages and shelters for widows and those of older age. They also managed the distribution of money, food and medicine, all in the name of Jesus. 
1504, in Alkmaar in the Netherlands, the lay brotherhood of the Holy Spirit commissioned this altarpiece for the city's parish church. The group's founding principles are laid out in the illustration of the sheep and the goats, where Jesus says that those who will inherit the kingdom of God are those who feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the poorly clad, care for the sick and visit the prisoner. In the far left panel, a wealthy couple are giving out bread to the poor gathering at the door of their home. The husband gives a loaf to a blind man in a tattered cloak who has a child on his shoulders, another at his knee and a wife who tenderly holds his hand. On the ground beside them is a man with a club foot who scoots forward with his crutch. Among the hungry is a bearded man in grey who stares straight out at the viewer. It's Jesus. His arresting gaze seems to say, if you don't see the hungry, you don't see me. As we examine the painting, it examines us. In the second panel, a wealthy bourgeois couple pour water from their silver pitchers into the empty bowls of passers-by, including someone with a spinal deformity and another with a leg injury. In the third panel, people gratefully receive jackets and other bits of clothing. Jesus is at the back of the queue, looking on in quiet affirmation as the clothes are all being given out. In the central panel, it is the clergy who are busy transporting the coffin, digging a grave and performing funeral rites. To the right is a group of mourners dressed in black. Jesus' presence is the most explicit in this panel. He's seated on a rainbow. The earth is his footstool and he's flanked by his mother Mary and, and by John the Baptist. This is a typical portrayal of the Last Judgment. Chosen by the artist because of the way Matthew expresses the eternal implications of our choice to care or turn a blind eye to those in need. Notice how Christ cups his side wound. The blood and water flowing from it traditionally represent redemption and healing. In Jesus' role as judge, justice is balanced with mercy. In the fifth panel, this act of kindness has to do with extending hospitality to travellers, people experiencing homelessness and asylum seekers. The artist portrays the strangers as pilgrims, shown by the badges on their hats. They are given room to stay in and Jesus is waiting patiently at the back of the queue. In the sixth panel, medics take the pulse of a patient, apply ointment to another's back and bring water to a sick patient in bed. Members of the Brotherhood of the Holy Spirit subsidised and maintained the hospital in Alkmaar, keeping doctors, surgeons and nurses to care for the ill and the dying. Three members of the Brotherhood, probably the donors of the paintings, approach the hospital to request a spot for a new patient who happens to be Jesus. The final scene is set in a prison where one man sits in shackles while another is being beaten. Visitors in the foreground plead for the beating to stop, even offering money. The prisoners are probably debtors and the bystanders want to pay off what the men owe, buying them their freedom. On the right-hand side, Jesus is portrayed as saviour of the world. He holds a globe in one hand and makes a gesture of blessing with the other. He knows what it's like to be tortured and condemned. He's paid humanity's debts 
with his life. His blessing extends across the entire peace, outward to all those who are vulnerable and to all those who have compassion on them. So what can we learn from all this to enable us to build back better in our church in giving dignity and worth to vulnerable people? In this altarpiece, we see a clear distinction between the privileged and the marginalised, the rich and poor, the strong and the weak, the superior and the inferior, the helper and the helped. And that's inevitable, considering the structure of society at the time and the presence of a few privileged individuals who, for the best of motives, wanted to follow Jesus' command to love vulnerable people. So if we reflect on the activities we offered before the pandemic, how can we build back better? Given that Jesus not only included marginalised people in the kingdom of God, he privileged the marginal in his ministry and gave them a central place of honour, I think we need to do the same. Instead of keeping the dividing walls between the privileged and the marginalised, the tough and the vulnerable, the helper and the person needing help, We need to enter into a genuine relationship of equality. This will be based on mutual giving and receiving, an openness to learn from one another and a willingness to recognise our need of one another. We would live in partnership and genuine friendship, loving and serving one another. That way the church would grow into spirit-filled human flourishing rather than being stuck in a dependency culture. This ethos is very much reflected in an initiative set up by the Church Urban Fund, which was established by the Anglican Church 30 years ago. The principle of ABCD, asset-based community development, is enshrined in their vision. That means using people's assets, their experiences, gifts and talents to promote genuine friendship. The initiative is called Places of Welcome. The community gathering takes place in an accessible and hospitable building at the same time every week. It's open to everyone regardless of their circumstances or situation and staffed by volunteers. It's a place where people actively listen to one another, are offered free refreshments and basic local information. It sounds just like our community cafe, with the exception that every person brings, if they would like to, talents, experiences and skills. To share with the group. Everyone has an opportunity, helpers and people being helped to learn from one another. I think encouraging people to share their gifts, talents and experiences would breathe new life into the activities we offer to people on the margins to give them a real sense of dignity and worth. I hope my talk has helped you reflect on the crucial importance of reaching out in love to vulnerable people and playing a part in giving them dignity and worth, breaking down the walls of separation between us. Because all are drawn into the ambit of God's saving love. God always identified with the poor and marginalised. When Israel lost sight of its vocation, the prophets urged them to set the oppressed free and find food, clothing and shelter for the poor and the dispossessed, in line with their calling. But God in Jesus went one step further and experienced vulnerability firsthand in all its rawness. He gave vulnerable people on the margins a central place of honour. The extent to which our lives bear witness to this truth is a measure of the quality of our relationship with him.
I hope my talk has given you fresh ideas about how you can make changes in the activities you organise or in the friendships you make. Prison visiting, for example, might well be an option to explore in the future. If you make genuine friendships based on equality and mutual giving and receiving, your light will break forth like the dawn. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Step forward in hope and with a renewed vision for vulnerable people in our church and beyond. Amen.